0: Welcome to the Academy podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. This month's podcast features teaching from Grace and Matthew at a 2015 five-day academy in Nebraska on the topic of the word of God in me. Grace uses the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 to reveal how when we find ourselves in scripture, we find ourselves connected to our faith in new and transformative ways. Grace currently serves as senior pastor of Community UMC in Evanston, Illinois, and has served churches in Kenya as a church planter and as an urban minister to an ecumenical congregation in Nairobi. She is intimately familiar with the church in its many theological expressions and social locations. For Grace, she considers the world as her parish, as an African who is married to a European, and is raising an American son, Grace is committed to advocating for the inclusion of all people. Her sermons and teachings are always exegeted as tools of justice on the intersections of religion, race, sexuality, and gender. As you listen to her teaching, may you find yourself in the sacred text, and may that discovery lead you closer to God. Listen on, beloveds, and enjoy.
1: I want to work with the Gospel of Mark, and my attempt, I'll tell you what what I, I want to do. I want to find out how I fit into this Jesus story. So it's a totally selfish project. I want to find my story in the Jesus story, and more so, my story in the God story. This story that we call scripture. Especially Christian scripture, this story that stretches all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I know this story has got someone like me in there. And I'm searching for them. And, and, I, and I figure that if there isn't, with all those thousands of characters, billions of characters in the story, if there isn't someone like me, I want to find out how someone like me might take up a verse in the Bible. Let's say my story became part of this story. And then take it a step further as we move on to find out if you were a character in the Bible, how would that verse read? How would that verse read? What is it about your story that could make a verse in this story. So, so if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. The Gospel of Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard. Um, it won't matter so much about which um, version you're on, because we're going to be looking at more like narrative criticism, paying attention to the, um, to the story itself. Um, on that. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth." Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him look we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said truly I tell you there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundred Now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. As he was setting out on a journey, the text begins. The he is Jesus, and I, in my in my dreams, I always imagine myself being a, a movie director. So allow me to do the first one. So in my mind, he's setting off on a journey. He's setting off on a journey. He's going to be traveling to somewhere. So so there is Jesus, he has prepared, he's setting on a journey, and his journey's end is going to be the cross. That's where he's going. He is mapped out, his journey is going to end up on the cross. He is on a journey. And we are told, as he was setting on a journey, as he's setting on a journey... You won't believe this all this time, all this time. If you needed to talk to him, you should have done it yesterday. But as he steps on the path, as he steps on that, that path, you won't believe what happens. A man comes running. He comes and he falls down before Jesus. I don't like this man. Not that because he's rich. I don't like him. He's, he, he looks, I'm, I'm an outsider watching this. It looks, he looks He looks selfish and fake to me. I, I don't trust him. I don't, not just like him, I don't trust him. I'll tell you why. I, I'm looking at his posture. I'm looking at his posture. Looks right. He's kneeling before Jesus. Don't fall for it. Not everyone who's kneeling before Jesus is in the posture of humility or prayer or worship or however however, Bruce Malina wants to tell us that that's what the posture is. I don't trust him. And I'll tell you why I don't trust him because he's kneeling in front of Jesus and Jesus is heading to the cross and now he's become a stumbling block. Beware. He comes before Jesus and he speaks to jesus his posture is right and his words seem right he says good teacher poor guy from the get-go jesus has a problem with him why do you call me good only god is good good teacher
2: Only God is good,
1: says Jesus. And he goes on to tell Jesus what he needs. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life, another word for that is the kingdom of God. Another word for that is what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit salvation? What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Even his language is very telling. The class language of inheritance. That you live in a system where you think everything you get, you inherit. That that may be what... One of the challenges before us is that his whole world needs to be dismantled. His whole language needs to be changed. The way he understands the world. Because those who live in the margins of life, who don't have anything to inherit, don't use that language. What must I do to inherit
2: eternal life? What must I do to do what you do, the things you do, things you do to
1: inherit the things you do? The things you have power to do. Brueggemann is helpful here when he talks about Pharaoh land, how the children of Israel in leaving Egypt, one of the lessons they had to learn is that their relationship with God is not about doing, it's about being. And that's why we have Sabbath, one of the great commandments, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember, that's our word for today. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Sabbath shows up twice. Brueggemann is helpful in reminding us. Sabbath shows up in Genesis where we mimic God by taking, taking a day to rest. But then also Sabbath shows up in the journey, in the Exodus journey. When these who had grown up in slavery under Pharaoh, Pharaoh's way of life is that if you did not produce, you were not valued. So if you were poor, if you were ill, if you were sick, if you were maimed, if you were old, if you were in any way disabled, you were not valued in Pharaoh's system. It's all about producing. How many bricks you can make. Brickmaker, Brick production. All of us little brick factories. And Sabbath. The commandment on Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It is, it is a subversive resistance to Pharaoh. Saying, I am more than doing what I can produce. B. On the Sabbath, B. Trust God. B. Remember the Sabbath. Do nothing. <laughs> Do nothing. It, it, it's always, it becomes clear then that. No wonder Jesus stayed dead on a Sabbath. <laughs> That's when it was his death day. He spent Sabbath doing nothing. No miracles were like Jesus. There are people to be healed. You can't die. There are people to blind people everywhere. Hungry people, feed them. Walk on water. Do something, but not on the Sabbath. And the Easter story begins always when the Sabbath was over. It's the day he simply stayed in the palm of God's hand. If you haven't experienced resurrection lately, maybe the problem is Sabbath. And I like to imagine that the academy is Sabbath, I try to take all my Sabbaths in one go. (laughs) Like in the week of the academy is my Sabbath. Where I go and get into this rhythm of being. The rhythm of being. By Wednesday, I'm in the rhythm of being. Monday is always a challenge But by Wednesday, I remember how it is to trust, to trust, to trust that I show up, to trust that I be, to trust that it is well, to trust that I don't have to check my email, my cell phone, that I be
2: Sabbath. Teacher, what must I do? What must I do
1: to inherit eternal life? And Jesus reminds him, you know, the commandments and the commandments that Jesus quotes for him are all the commandments to do with how we treat one another. And Jesus quotes for him how to be in relationships with the others. You know the commandments how to be in relationship with others. And he says, check, check, check. Ever since my youth, check, check, check. And then that little verse, did you catch that? Ah. Don't you just love that verse 21? Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Ah, did you just love that? How did that look? How did that look? Jesus, looking at him, loved him. How does that look like? How does that look like the son of God shifting his eyes from his journey's destination to look at this kneeling out of breath, rich man who's got check, 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 check and loving him, looking at him, loved him. I had to do the work of looking at the Greek on this to find out what does that word mean? And the word is the agape word. He looked at him,
2: and he agapeo him. He loved him unconditionally.
1: He looked at him. He loved. Oh my goodness! You know, dude, you do not have to do nothing. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. You are loved unconditionally. I know it's the most embarrassing thing ever. Because we all feel like you have to do something to pay it back. You don't. Just be you. Just be. And some of us have never really experienced that. We just never really know ourselves loved unconditionally. I love you unconditionally. He looked at him and he loved him.
2: Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing go sell what you own give the money to the poor you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me go sell,
1: give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. That way you don't have to worry about inheritance anymore. Done. Then
2: come, follow me. You'll
1: follow Jesus without treasure worries. You'll follow Jesus knowing that you're in already. Come, then follow
2: me. And this is,
1: scholars tell us that this is the call story which has a no. And some scholars tell us this is a realistic call story. Because it is the call story that shows that the human heart has other competitors and other suitors who win. And some scholars tell us that this is the Exodus story all over again. That here we have someone who wants to get to the promised land without leaving Egypt. We are told he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving. Bruggerman says, "Grief. The capacity to grieve is the visceral announcement that things are not right. That when you grieve, it's visceral announcement that things are not right. Thank God for your grief." That when you grieve is when you know things are not right. Brueggemann goes on to say the empire urges us and invites us to pretend things are right when they are not. To keep from grieving means there will be no serious criticism of things as they are. if he had dropped everything and followed Jesus or if he had dropped everything and said yes master and walked off to go do as he had been told then we should be suspicious this story is so true and so good because he's full of grief and if we follow Brueggemann and see that as His visceral announcement that things are not well. The church adds on the story, then trying to explain to us about this rich young man.
2: And I want to wonder about him.
1: What's your ending to this story? The question is in the air. My ending is that
2: he went home grieving and he got in bed in a big depression, and then he got up
1: after a few days. And rounded up the camels and took them to the market and sold them. When he got back home, his wife said, where's the money? She said, he said, I give it to the poor on the way here. And she panicked. And he started gathering the goats and took them to the market. And when he got back, his told his wife I gave the money to the poor his wife gathered the children and they left and his parents heard about this and they heard that he was showing the the land to some land buyers and they immediately disowned him so that he wouldn't inherit the land and sell it so his wife left him, his children left him, his parents dis- Disinherited him. He had nothing and he had not invested the money with the wealthy. He had given it to the poor, and you know what it is to give money to the poor. They'll never be able to pay you back. And then he discovered he had become one of the poor himself. And he then started following Jesus and he kept on the journey and he kept on being told yeah he was here two days ago yeah he was here three days ago following and depending on the kindness of strangers and he finally made it to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem with all that was going on and people of the city being the people of the city no one would give him anything to eat, and it is when he broke the first of the commandments he had always kept and was so proud of, because even when he was poor, he could still hold on to the simple fact that he kept the commandments, and he stole a loaf of bread. It broke his heart to now know he had nothing. Not even his pride in keeping the commandments. And that's when he was nabbed by the Romans. And to make, to make an example of him, he was sentenced to death. And there at the cross is when he met Jesus again for the second time
2: as a thief. And
1: Jesus told him, today you will be with me.
0: Discovering the story beyond the story, the meaning beyond the meaning, the rich and vast imaginary world beyond what is first seen and presented feels to me both powerful and empowering. The welcome invitation Grace's teaching extends to me, the listener and learner, to enter the text as a character in the story, to place myself on the dusty roads of Jerusalem and in the feet of the rich young ruler transforms my reading of this text, so much so that it's no longer a text, but a story, a tale, playing out on the canvas of my heart and my mind, leading me, along with the rich young ruler, to be so grieved by Jesus' commands that he and we become poor and condemned, depending only on the kindness of strangers. I will sit with Grace's teaching and illumination of the story of the rich young ruler for a while. I will let it marinate. I will let it sink deep into my bones. I will let it transform me. Perhaps this is the point, to enter the story, is to be transformed. May it ever be so. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Grace and Matthew, join us at the next five-day or two-year academy. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.